What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Core Consults RX podcast. Today, Cole and I are joined by two brand new P4 students from the Medical University of South Carolina. We got Mary Allison, we got Bernard. What's up, ladies and gent? Hey, how's it going, y'all? Hey, what's up? Yeah, fresh off the presses, end of their fourth year. Does it feel uh, like it's reality yet? That you guys are actually starting that fourth year, ready to be at the finish line? It feels really weird just how everything changed with COVID and everything. Everything was online and now we're just here and being able to do stuff in person. So. Yeah, it's, it just kind of came about and we're just kind of rolling with the punches, I guess. Yeah. So you are going to be able to have um, most rotations in person, you think? I think for the most part, all of mine are in person. And I even have one in Hawaii. That's Great. going to yeah. be in person. So. Nice. I have one in Montana that I'm looking forward to. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Montana would be nice. Yeah. It's in July, so it'll be a perfect time of year. Heck yeah. 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 You could stay here where it's uh, 180 degrees with the humidity. <laughs> no, nah, I'm good. It's like swimming Ugh. while you're walking. I walked outside today for the first time you know, this year so far, and I walked outside, and the heat like hit me before yeah. I even left the garage, and I was like, oh, no. You swim while you <laughs> walk, back. but you don't burn the calories. It's sure don't. disturbing. So, uh, Mary Alice, I'll start with you. Ladies first. Yeah. What, uh, what's your kind of plans going forward? Like, what are you looking forward to? What are you thinking long-term? Do you have a career path laid out already? I don't have a career path laid out already. I'm not really sure what I want to do. Um, I have planned for residency, and I might do that. But if not, then it'll all work itself out, and I'll find something to do for sure. <laughs> Do you, uh, do you have any idea what you'd want to specialize in or can you Um, I came in wanting to do oncology. Um, my granddad had cancer and a pharmacist in that area just really made an impact on me and it changed my decision, my career path. And so maybe that I do have a rotation in that and we will see. That's awesome. Yeah. But oncology specialists are very smart people. Yeah. So, you know, maybe I shouldn't. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, well, way to pick an easy one. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, Bernard, what about you? Um, I think AmCare is, is really where my heart is. Um, I have you and, and Dr. Jason Haney um, back-to-back, and I'm really looking forward to learning as much as I can on those two. And I think long-term, eventually, I would like to possibly do a community residency, maybe a one-year type deal, and then land an AmCare job after that. Um, that'd be the ultimate goal. Would you think would you consider doing the two year like Amcare residency or do you want to would you rather just try to find something on the job? From what I've seen in um, the residency directory, most things are one year as far as community. I haven't seen many two years in the in the areas that I was looking at, um, so it hasn't been something that I've really considered. But potentially cool. if it's there. But I, I mean, I'd like to get a job as soon as I can. It's been a long time. You don't like to you don't like to work <laughs> for a fraction of a salary. <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. Um, well, this, so they're both on rotation with me, and uh, it kind of like didn't even really dawn on me. I think until like probably that weekend before you guys were starting, I was like, "Wait, this is their first rotation?" Because you know you get in the swing of things, and it's like this is brand new. Right. Day it's not one like the first rotations in January; it's in May, right. so it kind of just springs on the preceptors. I was like, uh, "Man, this is like the big moment for these guys. This is awesome." So uh, I don't know how awesome it is to start with me, but <laughs> <laughs> but at least you'll have Doctor Haney after that and be good. <laughs> but. Um, so, yeah, that's awesome. I appreciate you guys being here today. And 
um, you know, and I didn't even have to threaten you guys with failing. You have to come on. You guys were both like, yeah, I'll do it. Like, oh, that was easy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, thanks for having us. No, no, of yeah. course. Absolutely. Yeah, word's getting around to where it's just understood. You, you fail if you don't come on. <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, like Brian was telling us with his with his residents. He's like, listen, if you want to become a critical care <laughs> pharmacist one day, you're going to come on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's mandatory. It's great. It's in the it's in the rubric now. Yeah. Syllabus. We're in the syllabus now. We, we're in the syllabi, if yeah. you will. So... Today, we're going to uh, talk about a topic. I'm pretty sure we haven't uh, covered this before. No, not at all. But um, nephrolithiasis or kidney stones, as people like, they're dumb like me, like to say. And um, we kind of got, originally we had a different topic planned, but with some guests, that kind of fell through. So we'll reschedule that. But um, we had a patient today we saw in the clinic that originally there was, was coming into the clinic for diabetes management. And it's actually a patient that I've seen a few times. And uh, he's, he's done a great job. His blood sugar used to be, I think his A1C was in the teens at one point. Now it's been controlled in the sevens for a while. Um, and he started talking about having some like pain in his kidney area. And that was like kind of his main complaint today. I was just thinking he was coming in to follow up and all that. And, um, so he just kind of kept his appointment for his diabetes education stuff and then came to me and then we started talking about that as a side thing. So he, he said that it was the pain has been kind of off and on for uh, like a few months now and basically was having uh, it's a few points was so like kind of painful that he couldn't even like stand up straight all the way and was it was just causing him to like call out of work for a couple of days and it, it just was getting pretty bad and then it would just kind of go away and uh, he said it would sort of travel down like towards his pelvis area and would, would go away after a while. Um, eventually the pain got to a point, you know, one weekend, I think he said, where he went to an urgent care place. They tested urine, um, to see if there was any kind of, you know, signs of infection or anything, um, did some just very minor blood work and then kind of, uh, did, he says an x-ray and I don't have the records to verify that's exactly what it was, but he said x-ray a few times and, um, and basically said that the, the person at the urgent care, whoever it was, was, um, told him that there was no signs of kidney stones or anything like that. But the more we talked to him, um, it just sounds like based on certain dietary risk things and certain changes he's had with medications and things like that, which he's not even on very much. Um, it kind of led us to, um, thinking maybe they could be, and, it, um, kidney stones actually just, maybe they're just too small to see on an x-ray. If that's all that was done as far as imaging. And, um, so we, we did some, ordered some blood work for him, and then we have him following up with primary care to get him a referral to get a, a CT and um, see if that's what's going on. But uh, that we'll kind of mention him a few times as we're talking through the, the treatment algorithm and all that or some of the treatment options and risk factors and all that. But uh, that's kind of what helped us land on this because we were just kind of sitting in the one of the conference rooms talking about him as a group, um, you know, me and the the our two brand new P4s here and uh, going through, I don't know, I'm going to make it sound like a group, like I'm breaking HIPAA. We were all involved in the care, so <laughs> it makes sense. Um, I had to clarify that real quick before I get uh, sued on my own podcast. And um, so it's something that uh, we started thinking about, well, we, since we don't have a topic that's due in like three hours, we ought to just talk about this. So here we are. Yeah, as far as the x-ray thing, um, I guess the gold standard for imaging, if you're going to do imaging, would be a CT without contrast. Mm -hmm. So maybe it was that, but it's not standard to do that unless it's going to like lead to a change in whatever they were going to do. Um, but they could also do a renal ultrasound, which is apparently 
less sensitive. So and, I wonder what he had. I don't. And I talked to a couple of our uh, PAs at the clinic, and they were saying that I, you know, technically speaking, you can see it on an X-ray if like if it's big enough. But if it's a small stone, which based on his symptoms and the way he's describing, because he's never actually. Um, they've never like collected a stone that he's passed or anything. So he's not even sure that, you know, he, he was told that's not what it was in the first place. Um, if it's small enough, then you may not see it on an x-ray because it's not going to be, it's just not yeah. big I, enough. I think an ultrasound is probably more common in those yeah. urgent cares. Well, I would think if um, they do anything, but who knows? Yeah. Who knows? I've also had, you know, someone drop fake eye drops in my wife's eye when she had an allergic reaction in her eye. And he said, oh, I was just trying to, once he found out we were pharmacists, he's like, I was trying to make her feel better. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> oh, so wow. who knows what goes on in those urgent care places. <laughs> I had to respect it though. He was so confident in those eye drops. I just noticed it was moxifloxacin. I was like, hmm, that's a strange choice for an allergic reaction. Uh-huh. And so once he started like totally drop professionalism, when he found out we were pharmacists, he's like, oh, cool. And he starts talking to us. I was like, man, I got to ask, like, what's up with the uh, moxifloxacin? He's like, oh, this? No, nothing. He goes, I call it the pregnancy. I just don't have any here. He's like, Prentisland's waiting to the pharmacy. I just wanted to make sure that she was calm and like saw that we were doing something. <laughs> I was like, hey, respect. Very interesting. That was pretty funny. Very I love the honesty. So as far as kidney stones, there are multiple types of stones. Um, so most common is going to be made up of calcium oxalate. Um, there's also calcium phosphate. There is uric acid. There is struvite and there is cysteine stones, Um, cysteine being like less than 1%. So it's a much more rare stone. There's actually even stones that have been composed of like medications. So acyclovir can actually cause that, um, adazenavir and triamterine. Um, and so those are all possibilities where the drug itself can actually form a stone. I'm not even familiar with how that would, how that would work, but maybe they precipitate in some way or something. So um, several different types of stones and um, can be quite painful, quite costly, um, and unfortunately can be common, especially in the, uh, the southeast United States is that the incidence of that is growing pretty significantly. Yes, because it can be heavily dietary and lifestyle related. Um, but as far as the com- composition of stones, they can be mixed. So you can have like a calcium oxalate and calcium phosphate stone as well. And I was a little disturbed to find that the incidence, at least from a study in, in 2007 and to 2010, it was a three-year study, um, was up to 19% of men and then 9% of women will have a kidney stone during their lifetime. I don't want to have a kidney stone. That's one in five. They are not fun, for sure. Okay. Speaking from experience, (laughs) I suppose? Okay. Speaking from experience, you don't want to have them. Yeah. I do not at all. I'm on the fence about it. It makes me want to kick sodas. (laughs) (laughs) It makes me want to kick sodas and just... I think anyone who's had one, especially people who've had recurrent ones, did you have that friend whose dad had the jar of kidney stones? Did I have that friend? Yeah, it seems like everybody does. The guy who has like recurrent kidney stones, then he keeps them in a jar. No, I don't think we have friends with that. Okay. (laughs) Maybe that was just me. (laughs) But um, there's not too much that will quickly adjust your diet like recurrent kidney stones. You know what I mean? How many did this guy have? He had a jar of them. Like how big are we Some people have just like chronic kidney stones. But like in a jar. Well, he had a lot over the course of his lifetime. Huh. Yeah. Right on. I mean, I can remember at least like four instances when I knew the guy when he was in the hospital for a kidney stone. Jeez. Yeah. Oh. 
I don't know why you'd want to keep to remember all. It's like a it's like a postcard from one of your worst days of your life. It's like a trophy. <laughs> Mine are definitely not in a jar. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, you Thank need you for to clarifying. Re- you need to rethink your strategy, Allison, because you can't brag about that. You obviously need to be able to show your friends all your stones. Um, now there are certain conditions that put you at higher risk, like Crohn's, which we talked about recently. Um, we did. We talked about ulcerative colitis. Cold. Oh, okay. We talked about IB. IBD. Half of IBD. Half of IBD. Um, gastric bypass surgery, which we have talked about. Yes, we have. We have talked about that. Um, hyperparathyroidism, primary hyperparathyroidism, um, being obese, diabetes, and distal renal tubular acidosis, all uh, conditions that can increase your risk for kidney stones. Yeah. So, um, and I think obesity tends to be something that, uh, or at least one explanation for why we see in the Southeast United States, that incidence growing because we do have a ever-growing um, obesity issue. Yep. Is also gout and cardiovascular disease, Yeah, which, and CKD, all of those as well, which are prevalent in yeah. the Southeast. Yeah. yeah. Prevalent everywhere, but. But definitely in the Southeast as well. So it's something that, uh, it, it kind of does make sense looking at it geographically, but um, other, you know, risk factors can be various things like in the diet. Um, so, there's a few different studies looking at like risk association and, um, and things like that. So, um, there's a few different things that can increase your risk of developing a stone and that's, um, a high intake of animal proteins, um, which I, I'm assuming is more from like they're based on, uh, purines, which is going to turn into uric acid and can form a uric acid stone. I imagine that's where a lot of that, um, animal proteins coming from, uh, oxalate. Um, so heavy intake of oxalate, which is a lot of like green leafy vegetables and, um, certain things. And unfortunately oxalates in a lot of our healthy foods. So I to say a good reason to, which they, they do clarify not to like just cut those out of your diet, but to eat a reasonable amount of them. Yeah. Sodium, um, sucrose and fructose, and then uh, there's actually some dietary f- uh, factors that have been associated with a lower risk, um, which is uh, adequate intake of calcium, potassium, and phytate. Yeah. Um, as far as like pathogenesis, um, there's a lot of things going on, but really the most clinically important um, inhibitor of calcium containing stones. So, one thing that one mark that you would look for to inhibit calcium containing stones would be urine citrate. Um, but yeah, cal- the diet plays a, a huge role. Do you want to go into like prevention of kidney stones first? Yeah, we can do that. So one big thing, and one thing I remember from another guy is actually my, my baseball coach who had chronic kidney stones. This is a different one. <laughs> you know, so many people with kidney I stones, know. I have no idea. Did he have a jar too? He, I don't think so, but I do remember <laughs> we did some yard work for him and he only had like, um, the flavored waters, like the artificially flavored mm-hmm. waters in his fridge. Cause he couldn't drink anything else pretty much. And he would drink a lot of water. So that's one way to prevent kidney stones, increased fluid intake. Um, there's fairly good evidence that it can decrease the amount of kidney stones that you have. They have recommendations drink three liters of fluid throughout the day, which is a fair amount, um, or at least enough to produce two to two and a half liters of urine per day. Um, patients specifically with cysteine stones may need to drink more, um, so up to four liters a day to dilute the urinary cysteine. Um, otherwise they recommend that the majority of it is water. Um, and you should limit, um, colas, which are sodas that we call here. Um, (laughs) but especially sugar sweetened ones, they clarify that, um, citric acid sodas, like a sugar-free lemon lime, like a sugar-free Sprite, if you want to use the brand name, might be a little bit better than like Coke Zero, 
which they consider a phosphoric acid containing cola. Um, the So I guess you might call those clear sodas versus dark sodas. Uh, might be okay, but the dark sodas are more likely to cause a kidney stone. So the other thing, um, which is kind of interesting, it actually to me when I first was kind of looking at this stuff, it sounds counterintuitive because we one of the most common stones is the calcium oxalate stone. So in my mind, I'm thinking calcium bad. And, I, and I've actually had some patients even bring this up where they were eating like a ton of tums and and things like that and so they were they had to stop because they were getting these recurrent stones and and whatnot so um they associated with that you know is any calcium in your diet is going to be bad so they try to avoid any kind of calcium rich foods um but there is actually kind of like a difference between like dietary calcium and sort of like the um supplement supplement yeah. yeah Um, so the, the dietary supplement when, or the dietary calcium rather is that's, what's related to the lower risk of stone formation. So when you see that risk of like, um, increasing calcium intake and whatnot, technically speaking, it should be from the diet if possible. Um, and the big thing is avoiding like that oxalate cause that oxalate is what would form it. So, but yeah, you're right. Dietary calcium can bind the oxalate and, and decrease risk. Right. So, and that's the thing is you want to bind that oxalate in the intestinal, um, track. So you want to get it and bind it in the gut versus letting it bind, um, in, you know, the, after it's gone into systemic absorption and into the kidneys and whatnot, so it doesn't form a stone in the bladder or whatnot. So if we can kind of bind that that oxalate up in the gut and then you can just excrete it, you know, without it ever being absorbed systemically, that's where we kind of want to be at. Um, so the the bioavailability itself of supplemental calcium um, is similar to the dietary calcium, but they've done some kind of observational studies where they've seen that calcium supplement um, could even increase the risk of stone formation. And so it's something to do with like the higher like total total calcium consumption um, leading to higher urinary um, calcium excretion. So the higher total calcium consumption with the supplements. So you can take significantly more calcium um, when you're taking a supplement versus getting it from your diet. Um, And that could be due to timing and things like that. I wonder what that cutoff is because you said that patient was drinking a lot of, he was having a lot of milk, yeah, right? Yeah, he was drinking a lot of milk and he said he drank like a lot of sodas and so. So, and well, he did say the, the, the diet sodas he was drinking, he did cut those out because they were the dark sodas, which actually is the right move. And he said he was drinking the, um, uh, was it the sweetened or artificially sweetened lemonade? Lemonade, yeah, sugar-free lemonade. So, yeah, that's the the colas that especially the phosphoric acid, like Cole said, um, those are the ones that tend to be the ones you need to limit, um, especially if they're sugar or sweetened with actual sugar. Um, they do say like citric acid sodas, so like sugar-free lemon lime sodas, things like that are probably okay. Um, so that is one like difference there so it's not just all sodas it's the phosphoric acid and he's making a good move with the sugar-free lemonade too because obviously you want to avoid sugar Um, but lemonade is also a natural citrate source and we'll talk about it uh, later when we talk about potassium citrate being used to treat but citrate can is, is used to treat and can help prevent kidney stones too um, and then also going back to like what you're saying about the calcium, um, I, I don't, they don't give a specific like cutoff that I've seen. Um, and in some resources, it does say to use food or supplements. They're not specific, but because there's some discrepancy there, if you are going to use a supplement, I would say the big thing is to take it with your meal. Cause if yeah. you're getting a lot of your oxalate, you know, containing foods in, in your you know, dinner time or lunchtime, or whatever, then if you take the calcium 
with the meal right then and there, that free calcium is going to be ready to bind that yeah, oxalate yeah, up in yeah. the gut and hopefully um, send it on through the G- GI system as opposed to letting it get absorbed. So the calcium content is is important. So that's something that I feel I feel like at least in my experience has been often misconstrued, and we think we need to lower the the calcium amount that we're intaking, but that can actually increase the risk. So yeah. completely backwards from what we we're kind of hoping. Um, what about uh, we talked about oxalate, um, and so there is kind of a weak correlation between increased like serum oxalate or oxalate intake specifically. Um, however, there does, they're saying maybe there could be a higher absorption rate in patients who happen to be what they call stone formers. Um, and, uh, it sounds like a transformer or something. Um, but, uh, it's, it's kind of a weak association. However, there is a stronger association and a stronger risk, um, factor when the, urinary oxalate is high. And so efforts to avoid high oxalate intake, um, most likely are going to be beneficial because obviously if the oxalates in the urine, then we want to, um, we don't want it to get there in the first place. But I, I think that the taking the calcium with the meal or making sure you have an adequate calcium in your diet when you're eating a meal, um, hopefully can offset that if you do have a high oxalate containing diet. Another thing that I've just remembered that another one of my friends, it wasn't him, but a person that he knew was having recurrent <laughs> kidney stones. Um, and that they, they basically equated it to, um, or contrib- said it was being contributed to by a vitamin C supplement that he was taking. So, um, avoid high vitamin C supplements basically. Yes. Apparently, um, a thousand milligrams per day of vitamin C can increase your stone risk by 40%. And this is specifically with urate, oxalate, and cysteine stones. Um, so, you know, if you ask somebody if they're taking a vitamin C supplement, they might say no. And then you ask them, well, if you're feeling a cold coming on, do you take anything? And they might say, yeah, I take emergency or something like that. There's a vi- there's high vitamin C in a lot of supplements. So, um, yeah, definitely want to want to keep that to a minimum if they're having issues with kidney stones. Also, sodium. So lower dietary sodium has been associated with um, lower urinary calcium and cysteine excretion. So the recommendation is um, less than 2,300 milligrams, which is pretty, I guess, similar to some heart failure recommendations for sodium as well, um, which is about a teaspoon of table salt. Um, But yeah, that's for calcium and cysteine stones. Um, And we had mentioned uh, high sodium being a risk factor. So one of the things that sodium and sucrose, for that matter, does is it basically can increase calcium excretion sort of independent of calcium intake. So it kind of, uh, based on the exchange transporters and all that in the kidneys, it can kind of um, increase that uh, calcium excretion. So when you're excreting calcium, then you're obviously... The more free calcium that's available, the more opportunities that has to bind with oxalate and whatnot. So it can form a calcium oxalate stone. Um, and so that's something that can be an issue. Um, the, the one thing that I thought was kind of interesting was, uh, there's been some reports that supplemental B6 could be potentially beneficial in patients, um, with certain risk factors for, uh, um, for developing stones, specifically the, uh, type one primary hyperoxaluria high oxalate in the urine basically nice um but not other not other types of stones uh, but so if you have a patient that does have um, high um, oxalate levels in their urine then you could potentially try b6 and see if that takes care of it or at least helps yep um also similar to i guess gout so p 
purine rich foods, increasing your risk for gout can also increase your risk for um, kidney stones. So they limit um, uh, red meats is also a recommendation, as well as cheeses and eggs. Um, they make the urine acidic and can increase your risk for um, uh, for kidney stones. We mentioned limiting animal protein before. I like how this one article puts it. Um, it speaks of animal flesh, so limit your intake of animal flesh. Um yeah. Is that written by a vegan? I don't know. Sounds like <laughs> it. It seems like it's... <laughs> sounds yeah. like it might... It it's wasn't steer, not written by a vegan. Steer you in one direction, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's fine if you want to consume animal flesh, <laughs> you savage. <laughs> I like that. That's good. It's a good technique. But I mentioned citrate before, and um, another recommendation that we'll talk more in depth in a second is to make the urine more alkaline. Um, increasing fruits and vegetables provides citrate and makes the urine more alkaline, so it can help prevent kidney stones. So the uh, they one article we were looking at said that uh, the urine citrate is a natural inhibitor of calcium containing stones. So it's basically that those higher levels of citrate in the urine naturally are going to keep those stones from forming, um, and then vice versa. When there's low urine citrate levels, then we see that uh, we do get a higher risk of stone formation from a you know basically a statistical standpoint. Um, but uh, yeah, what what other uh, things we need to talk about? We've already mentioned uric acid. Um, what have we missed so far, guys? What Bernard, you look like you want to jump in here. Anything? Uh, yeah, I was just thinking about the uh, how the risk of stones increase as the urine volume decreases. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that's pretty pretty notable because that patient he was also on Jardiance. Yep. And so and he was wanting to he was really wanting to back down on it. He he's he doesn't really like meds staying on meds for a long time, and so. Um, backing down on that, that probably decreased a lot of his urine output. And so, yeah, and so you can look at it one way with increasing fluid, um, which we talked about, but also as far as being dehydrated. So if you work outside in the heat a lot, especially yeah. in Charleston when it's humid mm-hmm. and you're losing a lot of water, that'll decrease your your urine output as well. Well, because it is interesting. When he was on the higher strength, the 25 milligrams, he wasn't having these issues. And then when he switched them, because his A1C was um, falling below 7, so that's mm-hmm. what made me initially back down on the giants anyway because that was one of his things is he's isn't that a risk that that you'll that will pop up with giants as kidney stones uh maybe not i have to double check i, don't, I thought I don't it was know but if i've ever seen it maybe if the person has in their chart that they have a history, history. of kidney stones maybe okay. but i mean that it, it, that's where when he had that uh drop in the dose that's when the, the irritation stuff started happening and we're still not 100 percent sure that's even what it is for him yeah. but um it's something that uh was kind of interesting. The other kind of, we might, well, I'll add that in a minute. We get to the treatment options. I'll save it. Cliffhanger. <laughs> um, anything else we need to mention as far as like dietary stuff or? As far as prevention, that was all I had. Anything we missed, Bernard? Um, just kind of touching on top of like working out in a hot environment. If you're, I guess, somebody in Charleston working out in the sun. Uh, also people who don't have access to water or bathroom and kind of hold on to hold on to it all day, um, that also increases your risk. So, Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, once you have a patient that's presenting with a suspected kind of, you know, you think it may be um, a kidney stone, you, you know, or at least some kind of issue in that area and you want to figure out what's going on, um, there's a few different things you can kind of do. So Cole already mentioned some of the imaging studies that would be ideal to get if, if you need. Um, but uh, there's also some laboratory things you can look at. So check, taking a look at, um, for example, uh, a CMP, so you can see serum creatinine levels um, to make sure the renal functions, you know, intact and see if there's any issues with that. 
um, checking uh, the the urine and make sure there's no um, you know bacteria growing or um, anything going on. You can see a urinary pH, which can give you some ideas of what's going on. Um, see if there's any blood in the urine or anything like that. Hopefully, the patient can tell you if there has been. Um, you, you know, the uh, getting serum uric acid is a is a good idea. Um, getting serum calcium, sodium, potassium, all that on the CMP is a, is is good. Checking a CBC to see if there's any, um, you know, elevation in the white blood cell count or anything like that. Um, you could even check like a CRP uh, to look for any kind of like you know, inflammation. So th we didn't get that in, in this particular individual. So um, we'll see how the other ones turn out. But I guess if it's been going on for a period of time, maybe his CRP levels could potentially be elevated if there's enough inflammation. But that also could let you know there may be something else going on um, that's, you know, autoimmune or who knows what's, what else could, you know, be a factor. So um, it make it maybe trigger you to start digging a little deeper. Um, but, uh, yeah, those are some of the, the common labs you could get that might give you a little bit more insight. Maybe looking at some anti or some coagulation testing, you know, PT or APTT, INR, stuff like that. The, uh, the urine pH is something that's pretty interesting because when you, uh, compare the different stones, they're different, uh, depending on what pH the patient has, it puts them at a higher or lower risk for particular stones. Tell us. So I think that's uh, I think that's pretty interesting. So, like for example, uric acid uh, is only going to be at a high risk. They're only going to be at a high risk for uric acid stones when the pH is less than five point five. Um, but calcium phosphate is more likely when the urine pH is greater than six point five, and cysteine is also more likely when there's a higher um, urine pH. So I just I think it's interesting to to get that so you can kind of maybe know uh, where what this patient's going to be dealing with. Yeah, yeah. And in some stones, it's almost exclusively tied to pH. I think it's that cysteine one, I believe. But yeah. um, like that's that is what the risk factor is 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 the urine pH. Well, that's that's the thing. What stinks is the calcium oxalate. They're not really influenced by urine pH, and that being the most common mm. type, which I guess can be a good and bad because if you do notice that there's a high pH and whatnot, then it, maybe it could lead you down one path mm. over the other. And if it's if it's a stone outside of that calcium oxalate, but so definitely important to kind of look, and, and I, I guess, you know, obviously looking at all the different laboratories, that, you know, values that are available, but then the imaging does play a big role because if you can see it on a CT, then uh, it's kind of obvious that's what's going on. Yep. Um, what about the, the other thing? We didn't really mention this earlier when we were talking about risk factors, but there is a genetic component to it as well, it seems to be anyway. Um, the There's a... The, They've noticed a twofold greater um, risk of um, in individuals getting a kidney stone if they have a family history of stone formation. Um, so, you know, we're not really sure exactly like what the genetic predisposition might be, but, um, you know, they, they do think that there's some sort of a thing going on. So it could be similar environmental exposures um, or a combination of some kind of genetic, but it's they're not 100 percent sure. Um, and, you know, the the genetic contribution could be somewhere somewhat at play there yep so as far as drugs um there's really just a few in, in as far as prevention goes so we talked about citrate being important um increasing urine citrate excretion to preventing uh, kidney stones so you can do that through the diet like we said with fruits and vegetables if that's not cutting it frequently they might supplement with a citrate supplement like potassium citrate um uh, or even potassium bicarbonate can do it as well. But potassium citrate is definitely more common. 
uh, it's first line in some patients, uh, especially those without risk factors for potassium. If you're going to have like high potassium or something like that, um, it reduces urine acidity um, and um, it's, it's effectively a urine alkalizing agent. So the goal urine pH, which we referenced before, um, which is important, is six for uric acid type stones, seven for cysteine stones. Um, and in one study, it, it reduced the amount of kidney stones by with a number needed to treat of about two to three. Which is pretty good. Yeah, solid. Yeah. The, and I guess I'd have to look and see. I'm assuming you can test the urine for citrate specifically. There's got to be a lab option for that. I'll have to look at our... Yeah, I think you can measure urine citrate excretion. Yeah. All right. So well, that if, it, if you do have a, that is a value and it is ten, does tend to be low, then that's a clear um, option to try potassium citrate and kind of go from there. Um, so the other option that is, is out there that's, that I've seen myself use um, a few different times is a thiazide diuretic. Um, and the, the thought process here is you're basically reducing the urinary calcium, um, which obviously is a good choice for patients that do have high um, levels of urine calcium. Um, and you can even, uh, um, it, when, it, when, when that thiazide is basically there, you can, um, you're reabsorbing calcium. So we know that like if we give a patient a thiazide diuretic, um, serum calcium does tend to go up and that's because that calcium is reabsorbed um, in the distal convoluted tubule and, and you're not allowing that calcium to keep going, which gives it the opportunity to bind with a, a, a stone. So one thing some people do even do is you can even combine it with calcium citrate. So when that calcium and citrate kind of break apart, the calcium can get reabsorbed, the citrate keeps on going, and the citrate allows the urine to become more alkaline, and uh, you can kind of kill two birds with one stone, so to speak. Um, just but coin that? I did. Yeah. I just made that up on, on the spot. <laughs> No, no big deal. Um, but one of the studies that looked at this um, also saw a number needed to treat of only three patients. Um, the doses that have been studied uh, as far as the daily doses, like total daily doses, is hydrochlorothiazide 50 milligrams, chlorothaladone 25 to 50, and endapamide 2.5. Um, the side effects do tend to be lower, obviously, with lower doses, um, but there hasn't been any definitive proof that they're as effective as those higher doses. So the one concern I would have with him and would actually lead me to probably using a lower dose at first is um, his blood pressure was like 116 systolic and uh, it's 50 milligrams of hydrochlorothiazide is probably not the best option. Mm -hmm. Plus, I you do have to also consider the fact that while it's great that we're reabsorbing calcium and actually uric acid for that matter as well. So that's one thing that... Uh, so that study actually didn't even mention, but uric acid levels do tend to go up when you're on a thiazide, um, and uh, serum levels do. So you can again avoid from entering the urine. But um, the problem is, is he's on an SGLT2 inhibitor. He's on Jardians for his diabetes, which is working in the proximal convoluted tubule, and that's going to be pushing more um, more glucose down loop of Henle and you know through the nephron. But you're also going to get an increased reabsorption of glucose from the thiazide in the distal convoluted tubule. So all that hard work that the Jardians is doing may be offset by the thiazide, especially if you use hydrochlorothiazide. That's the one that's the biggest culprit of that glucose reabsorption. And dapamide doesn't really, that's not really as big of a factor. Clothalidone, you have to consider it. And hydrochlorothiazide, we definitely have to consider it. So it's something that I don't want to mess up. You know, I, I don't want to cause side effects, but I also don't want to go too high of a dose either because I uh, don't want to worry about having to reabsorb that glucose and potentially throwing off his 
you know, the benefits he's getting from his SGLT2 inhibitor, or at least decreasing those benefits. Right. So, so you might hit non-pharmacologic stuff with him harder yeah. first, which he, he should be drinking a whole lot of water with Jardians anyway. Um, so if he's not, that's that's an easy an easy recommendation to make is we need to drink more water. Yeah. And he had already kind of complained about having to go to the bathroom more often, and I think adding the hydrochlorothiazide would have like... It's like... He wouldn't have been too Double happy. whammy diuretic type yeah. effects. Yeah. And another, just another thing to worry about um, is you got to think about the sodium potassium, you know, ATPase pump. So it is important if you're going to start them on a thiazide, especially at high doses, to minimize the sodium, not only to prevent the kidney stones, but also to minimize the potassium that you lose through the urine by taking those if you're using those high doses. So, so far for, for our patient, if it does turn out to be stones, I'm, I'm thinking potassium citrate with a um, calcium um, citrate maybe, or a, I'm sorry, a potassium citrate first line and then maybe a very low dose of a thiazide if that's not enough mm-hmm. with a calcium citrate to maybe give a little more oomph. Right. And along with addressing whatever non-pharmacologic stuff you can with Absolutely. Yeah. If nice. we do go that route. But that'll probably be uh, a while before. He's going to have to go get a referral for imaging and all that if we do do tend to go that route. But the dietary stuff, we're probably going to talk to him tomorrow when his initial labs come back. I did find something about how much daily calcium you should have. So it looks like somewhere between 400 and 1,200 milligrams of calcium a day. Yep, and I think they mentioned that um, calcium restriction is not recommended at all because yeah. e- even in that one trial, in that instance, higher doses, closer to 1,200 reduced kidney stones mm-hmm. versus the, the lower doses of the, of the 400. Yeah. Yeah, we were talking earlier, like even when I had kidney stones in the past, my daughter was like, you can eat all the ice cream you want, drink all the milk. And I was like, okay, like, don't pressure me. I want yeah, <laughs> yeah and, it, and another thing for an acute kidney stone that's not really mentioned here, but is pain meds. You always see pain meds, you know, mm. prescribed with them. You know, another thing you always see. Tell me. Flomax. Yep. You know. So glad you brought that up because that's the other point I was going to make earlier with this patient. So to give you more background, um, this patient basically has his blood sugar under control. So initially he was complaining of frequent urination, got his blood sugar under control. But then he, I asked him, you know, hey, is the frequent urination going away? He's like, it's gotten a lot better. He's like, but I still feel like I can't fully empty my bladder when I'm using the restroom. And so uh, I basically got him an appointment to see primary care again because then at that point I'm thinking maybe it could be BPH or something like that. Um, he's around that age where it could be a, a factor. And um, so the, I told the primary care um, doc that I work with that I was going to put him on his schedule for that week. And I, I asked him if he wanted me to start him on Tamsulosin just to see if it you know started to help. He's like, yeah, for sure. So we gave him 0.4 milligrams Tamsulosin once a day. And uh, today when I asked him about it, I said, so when you were on the Tamsulosin, um, did you, did you, were you having these pains? And he like thinks about it for a minute and he's like, no. In fact, when I stopped it is when it came back. And I was like, huh. <laughs> huh. Interesting. So in the case of a, if it was um, a kidney stone that's causing this issue, you know, my thought is maybe depending what they use for imaging, um, if it's a smaller stone, um, and there's, there's been studies that looked at this and that have been mixed results, but the thought process is if you can kind of like dilate that, you know, ureter, um, the, and let the stone pass more readily through the system, it's, it causes less pain and it's just easier to get rid of. And so you'll see, um, like Mary Allison was saying, you, you'll see that given for like five days, um, you know, with, along with pain meds to kind of 
help when they do have a definitive diagnosis of a stone. So I'm wondering if he is having these like recurrent really small stones that kind of come up. Um, I'm wondering if the tamsulosin just allowed it to pass more readily to where he wasn't even really realizing it. Could be. Yeah, and it relaxes the smooth muscle. I mean, it makes sense to, mm-hmm. to help it pass. And for for when y'all are new grads, if you're working in a dispensing pharmacy, don't be confused when you get a Flomax prescription for a female. For a female. Yeah. Because that'll that'll be what that is. Did, did you, uh, when, when they called that in for you, did you get some uh, questions about it? I didn't get any questions, but then when we were going over it in class, I was like, Oh my gosh! I don't have BPH. Like, <laughs> what is going on here? I uh, I remember getting a text when I was still working in uh, um, retail pharmacy. I got a text from a pharmacist, and they were like, "It it showed tamsulosin and had a female like patient, and then just said, please explain." <laughs> and I was like, well, "Is it for five six days? Yeah, that's what yeah. it is. It's kidney stones." Yeah, did that patient has questions about that? Oh, go ahead. Sorry, that was it. Was all I was okay. say. Uh, did he say if he had a family? component to it did he multiple members of his family yeah. had him yeah that's what so. i mean like all this dude's like warning signs yeah. point to <laughs> point to kidney stones that's why i feel comfortable talking about it even though i'm not 100 right yet um that's yeah. what i'm i'm if i was a betting man <laughs> that's what i would think it it probably is um did we, we didn't talk about allopurinol yet either. no i was just gonna say yeah last thing which is definitely not first line um can be allopurinol because it reduces uric acid in the urine but it's not even first line for a uric acid stone um, most ur- patients with uric acid stones have a low urine pH, um, not hyperuricosuria. So using potassium citrate to raise the urine pH would definitely be first line for that. But it's usually 200 to 300 milligrams once a day or even twice a day if needed. And, and kind of give you an idea, still even with patients who have failed the potassium citrate, who got put on allopurinol, um, you're helping to... Um, lower that uric acid in the urine that actually reaches the urine because if you're blocking xanthine oxidase with allopurinol, you're not even producing uric acid. Um, so the patients who were put on allopurinol as second-line therapy, the number needed to treat was only um, five patients. So still fairly low. I mean, if we had number needed treats like that with our I know. diabetes <laughs> and high, cardiovascular meds and I stuff. I guess treatment for uh, kidney stones is pretty effective. Yeah, it's way better than what the rest of the disease states we normally deal with. Normally, I'm like 45. Awesome. Yeah. That's great. Let's 120. Let's go. Let's go. So, well, I guess when you're talking about a kidney stone versus cardiovascular death, then different outcomes, right? I don't know. I guess people who've had kidney stones. <laughs> yeah, I know. You might rather have a heart attack than like, a kidney oh stone. Oh my gosh, this is the worst. Yeah. So, yeah, potassium citrate first line seems to be fairly effective for most situations. Then consider a thiazide plus or minus calcium citrate and then allopurinol kind of last line. Um, is and then you like Cole said, two to three hundred milligrams of that um, may be another option, especially if they have high uric acid levels in the urine. Um, and then uh, there's even some um, evidence too that uh, if you have a patient with hypertension and stuff, so let's say maybe you're doing a thiazide diuretic in them because you can, no pun intended, kill two birds with one stone. Ah, get uh, it? Yep. Did you coin that? I did. I did. Um, the, Wait, deja vu? Did we already do that? Once? Which one? Do we? Did we? I thought I thought you already said that. I said well, no, we did. I was joking. You oh. said coined. Yeah, they said that part twice. Did I say my part twice? Oh, you did. I yeah. did. Oh yeah. yeah. I said the dash diet. No, no. you <laughs> said kill two birds like twenty minutes ago. Oh, I was like, I was, I'm like, I don't remember mentioning that. You didn't no. even let me finish to get my point. <laughs> oh, my bad. <laughs> I was like, did I say that? You've been called out. I say two kill two birds with one stone like every other sentence oh. in my natural day to day life. Um, that's just my favorite expression. I don't know why. Um, but you like multitasking. 
There you go. It's got to be one. Thank right? you, Cole. I there like that. I like that spin you put on that for me. It's good for my ego. Um, but the uh, the dash like diet has been associated with lower risk of kidney stones. So encouraging them to to follow that low sodium and all that stuff like we talked about earlier, but help lower that blood pressure too. But that might be some extra motivation for them to kind of follow those <laughs> those diets that they're not thrilled about. Yeah, it seems like the dash diet is just like because it's in all a whole bunch of literature. But I think it's just because. It's been studied, and so many other diets just haven't been studied. It's got a cool name, too. Yeah. Dash. Dash. Um, one thing we didn't mention earlier, but I just to, in case you are interested in, like, more dietary side of things, um, there is something called the Low Oxalate Cookbook, um, book two, that's available, at least this is the last time uh, this reference guide was updated. Um, but that's available online, so take a look at that if you want some more, uh, I guess, cooking um, recipe options to uh, the lower your oxalate intake man imagine being the person to write that and then write a second edition of the low oxalate cookbook obviously they're doing something right they have to make a second edition i guess so last thing i wanted to mention was the struvite stones Mm. they're also known as infection stones or triple phosphate stones Um, they only form when the upper urinary tract is infected with a urease producing bacteria so that would be protease mirabilis klebsiella um, or a provincia species of bacteria. Yep. Infection. What else? What else we got? Anything? On? Um, going back to killing two birds with one stone, mm-hmm. we did look up the largest oh, kidney stone yes. yeah. in history. It was in 2004 in India, and I think it was about 13. Yeah, at the widest point, it was 13. 13 centimeters. what? Centimeters. centimeters. Okay, yeah. not centimeters. inches. Yeah, it was it was huge. Yeah, that's yeah. crazy. We were, that's crazy. Not like a cantaloupe. Yeah, it was rough. <laughs> Thirteen centimeters. Yeah. yeah, and it passed it naturally too. I'm just kidding. No epidural. That's a lie. <laughs> yeah, God, that would be a worst. I'd be like, yep, just go ahead and end my life. <laughs> Thirteen centimeters. What a record to have though. If only I had my calculator, so I could know what that is in inches. Then I would it's know 2. how big it is. Two point five seven centimeters in an inch. <sighs> Isn't two point five four? I think 2.54. It could 2. be. 2. Oh, yeah. I had the 2.5 portion. Step up. We just had our hospital lab. Trying to show it. off over here. Not a big deal. Some of us were chemistry majors. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. So, uh, well, not, not actually, but. <laughs> <laughs> Being very serious. <laughs> I really was. I never want to go back. No. Um, anything else? Did we missed you all? Anything? I know that's, that's all a I got, man. brief overview, but yeah. there's a, there's a good article. If you ever want to check out, um, I don't know for those of you who check out pharmacist letter, um, for our pharmacist listeners, uh, there's a good, uh, summary article you can check out in there. Um, and then, there's uh, prescriber letter too. Yeah. It's in there. I don't know if, is it on there? Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. So it's on prescriber letter too. So if you're PA or MD or whatever, um, and then, uh, there's some other good resources up to date, things like that, obviously. But uh, yeah, so hope that, I mean, obviously short recap, but there's some good stuff out there if you want more information and um, we'll maybe give you a follow up once we find out what's going on with our, with our mystery patient. Um, thanks you guys for coming on, taking the time to come out here after a whole day of rotation and they still come on the podcast dedication. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks for having us. 14 hour day. Keep that. Uh, Cole knows all about those. Cole was with me at a different time in my life when I had to work 14, 15 hour days and couldn't take a break. <laughs> I've been there too. And, uh, yeah, it was brutal. So, uh, he, on his first day of rotation was, I was like, Hey man, strap in. We'll be here till 10 tonight. <laughs> oh yeah. And we have controlled substance inventory. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> On the first day? I, it wasn't the first day. Uh, nah, but it was we, like the we first were there week. Till, we were there till like midnight, from like yeah. 7 a.m. till midnight one night. Man. It was brutal. 
And then Cole would still be texting me when I got home about, hey, we should try this for Twitter and see if that's when I first started Core Console. And he was like, I was like, all right, this kid's crazy. Like, I, I like it. Gonna- yeah, back when we used Twitter. Yeah. Whoa, whoa. I still use Twitter. Yes. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. No big deal. Some yeah. people make Nobody's you know, judging. They, that's, hey, that's, it's free country. That's how you choose to live your life. <laughs> no. But yeah, actually, so I have my Twitter linked to my Instagram, so I just pushed Twitter <laughs> whenever I post the thing. That's how, yeah. that's about how much I use Twitter. I need to get better at least maybe updating articles or something. People like it, but it's, yeah. it's, hasn't made, hasn't hasn't uh, we don't have quite the following we do on the old gram. Uh, yeah. or on, that we like or the following we have on the gram is not there on Twitter, so yeah. we're lazy. All right, you guys, thank you so much for listening. Um, if you do like the podcast, make sure you subscribe to whatever cool pl- podcasting platform that you uh, enjoy. Um, if you have any questions or anything like that, you can reach us in our sh- uh, emails, which will be in the show notes. Uh, if you want to reach us through direct message or on all the social media platforms, um, so we'll do our best to answer you there. Um, if you want to text us directly, um, you can send a text message to 415-943-6116. You'll get like an automated message back and then um, you can answer that or not. Uh, regardless, I'll get back to you as quick as I can. And uh, if we take a day or two to get back to you, I apologize. But um, sometimes I get backed up on the old messages. Uh, the, I think last thursday when i was giving my p students their final i looked up instagram and i had like 40 messages on instagram and about 20 on linkedin and a whole bunch of text messages so i promise it's not not that i'm trying to ignore you it's just that now people are asking questions and some of them i don't know the answer off the top of my head so i have to actually do some research and it takes them some time so i'll get back to you as quick as i can i promise um but yeah thank you guys so much for listening thank you all so much for the support on patreon um we keep getting more and more subscribers on there that's awesome we really really appreciate it and uh yeah we will see you next time thanks a ton have a good one